0: Welcome to the Life of Christ, series 4, term 2. This is lesson 15. We are going to be continuing in John chapter 5. To do so, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem, or there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool which is called, in the Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after, stirring, after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. <clears throat> when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, He said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. That's the problem. Verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Now, this is where we left off last time. In reading this, many people, especially preachers, think that Jesus broke God's law for a good cause, of course, when in fact he never did. So let's begin with a quote from William Hendrickson. I'm going to give you a lot of quotes today um, and a lot of scripture because I want you to see exactly what was going on here and what was right and what was not. Amen? And why Jesus did what he did. Beginning with William Hendrickson, he says that the Pharisees had superimposed upon the law of God their own hair-splitting distinctions and rabbinical restrictions. This was true particularly with reference to the Sabbath. Instead of looking upon it as a day of special consecration unto works of gratitude for the salvation which God had given, they viewed it as a day of cessation from all common work with a view to the salvation which man must merit. Okay? Alright. As they saw it, man was made for the Sabbath. As he, Jesus, knew it, the Sabbath was made for man. So there was the first problem. All right. What's fascinating about this is that never once did the law of God ever forbid a man from being healed and carrying his bed and going home. Let's look back at where all of this began. All right. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 10, we find God saying there, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall do no work. Alright, so that's, that's where it begins. Did you all hear that? Okay. Now, as to the work that was being referred to here, Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 21 and 22 are very clear when it says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so it's easy to understand. He says here, this is what the Lord says. Listen to my warning and live. Stop carrying on your trade at Jerusalem's gates, on the Sabbath day. Do not do your work on the Sabbath, but make it a holy day. In other words, the work referred to in Exodus 20.10 had to do with carrying on trade and business activities, not your bed after you were healed. Did you get that? Okay, so this is really important. So what was, what was um, forbidden was carrying on trade. So when it said in Exodus, in, that, in it you shall do no work, it meant paid work. Are you getting this? Okay. In fact, this is further clarified and made clear by what Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 15 and 16 say, and that is, on the Sabbath day I, that is Nehemiah, saw some men of Judah treading their wine press. They were also bringing in bundles of grain and loading them on their donkeys, and on that day they were bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on the Sabbath. You're getting this? Verse 16, there were also some men from Tyre bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem at that. In other words, they were breaking the law right in front of everybody. (laughs) Okay, all right, in the city that actually had this law. So, it is more than obvious that this this in no way relates to this man carrying his bed on the Sabbath and going home. This was the Pharisees' laws, not God's. In fact, to show us just how ridiculous the Pharisees' laws were, R. Kent Hughes writes, I'm on page 27, I believe, in your books, R. Kent Hughes writes, eventually, religious people began to protect the Sabbath day by their own prohibitions, added to those of Scripture, eventuating in 39 series of laws. These extra laws constituted a hedge around the Sabbath, but it was a man-made hedge. For example, here it comes. Okay, Looking in a mirror was forbidden. The rationale was that if you looked in the mirror on the Sabbath day and saw a gray hair, you might be tempted to pull it, up, pull it out and thus perform work on the Sabbath. Can you believe this? Now, this is how ridiculous it got. <clears throat> you also could not wear false teeth. Because if they fell out, you have to pick them up and you would thus be performing work. All kinds of obscure meanings and conversations centered around the Sabbath. You could not carry a handkerchief on the Sabbath, but you could wear one. That meant if you were upstairs and wanted to take a handkerchief downstairs, you would have to tie it around your neck, walk downstairs and untie it. See, Can you believe this? Okay, all right. The Jews even debated about a man with a wooden leg. Namely, if his home caught on fire, how ridiculous this is this could he carry his wooden leg out of the house on the Sabbath? Further, because traveling was forbidden on the Sabbath, a journey was limited to 1,000 yards. But, if you wanted to extend your walk, you could tie a rope at the end of your street as much as 1,000 yards away. You could then walk 1000 yards further because you had extended your household by 1000 yards. Then there was spitting. Here we go. You could spit on the Sabbath, but you had to be careful where you spit. <laughs> Are you getting this now? Okay. I, I want to read all this. Too. I was going to keep it up and I thought, "You know what? No, we need to do this." All right? So, <laughs> you have to be so again, you need to be careful where you spit if you spit on the dirt and then scuffed it with your sandal, you would be cultivating the soil and performing work. Wow. Can can you believe this? And of course, added to all this was also the, the prohibition of taking or carrying anything from one domain to another, except for cases of compassion, such as carrying a paralytic, which was, again, a law based on their own oral traditions, not on Old Testament law. Now do you understand that this man had not broken any of God's laws. You getting this? By carrying his bed on the Sabbath. He had broken their laws. Their ridiculous laws. Okay? I also want you to understand something now. This is what their conversation centered around. This would be what of their teachings centered around. This is why when Jesus came and started talking, talking to them about faith, trusting God, this is a new thing. They, they would be sitting there thinking, Wow, this guy, this is, he's actually talking about things that make sense. Things that actually matter. Amen? And that's why you know, they, had, they had got so sick of coming to church just to hear about, Okay, now we've been discussing about you know, how you can walk a thousand yards further this week. So if you tie a rope to your house and extend it out, you gotta and everybody go, Oh, okay, that's one more thing that we can do not to upset some one of the rabbis. You see, this is what was going on. And the religion had got so bad. Do you understand now why they couldn't recognize Jesus? Do you get this? Remember what Jesus said about you know, you count your mint and your all your your spices, you know, the ten percent? And, and, and then you, you miss out on all the other things, like mercy. It was one of the things that he listed. What is mercy? Having somebody healed on the Sabbath. Rejoicing that they can actually pick up their bed and walk. Not looking for somebody to persecute, that heal them. Just, we'll get to another thing that will, will, will bring that up. And so it goes on to say in John chapter five, verses eleven and twelve. After this man was properly reprimanded for carrying his bed on the Sabbath, he answered them, that is the Jews, okay, verse ten, and said, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they ask, Who is this man? Or it literally says, Who is this fellow? You know, can you can you hear it? Okay. Uh, uh, Who's who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now, isn't it incredible how these Jews cared so little about the incredible miracle that has just taken place and decide to turn their entire focus on this fellow who would dare to tell this man to break their Sabbath. In his commentary, William Hendrickson observes, in their great zeal for the maintenance of their hair-splitting man-made regulations, they even forget to see the utterly ridiculous character of their complaint. They do not seem to realize... That after all, it was only a mat that this man was carrying. Okay, amen? Let me talk to you for just a minute. This is what happens. Now, we, we might be looking at this and scoffing and going, Wow, how can they even do that? But you look at churches today, and there are things going on today that are just as bad there are people that are being persecuted for things that are outward and people and the people that are doing it are sinning inwardly while persecuting someone for maybe the way they look or you know the the kind of clothes they wear or just anything on the outside while not realizing their criticism in itself is a worse sin than whatever they are judging Amen? And this is exactly what is going on here. The Jews' criticism of Jesus is worse than what they believe, whatever laws they think He's broken. But it's interesting that they don't see that because they have set themselves as judge over all everything and everyone. When the Bible tells us that God is the judge. In fact, we're going to find out Jesus is going to say later on that all judgment has been put into his hands. So the ridiculousness of this is that the Jews are arguing with the judge that is going to, in that last day, be judging them. Isn't that something? Which is why Jesus is going to say that all of these people are going to... talking about Gentiles. That's us, okay? Are going to be sitting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all of these, who are meant to be sons of the kingdom, are going to be cast into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen? Let's move on. Added to this, D.A. Carson writes, The Jews hear of the wonderful healing, and of the formal breach of their code, and are interested only in the latter. The breach of their code. They think they see what is important, but in religious matters, there are none so blind as those who are always certain that they see. That's why you really need to be careful about how much you think you know. Amen? If you ever come to a place where you start judging people for whatever it is, can I say that right there is the place for you to stop and judge yourself? do what First Corinthians tells us when we're taking communion. If you judge yourself, then you won't be judged. Amen? But if you don't, it's coming. So, it goes on to say in the next verse, But the one who, ha- who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Now remember again, that this place, you know, a lot of times we only see Jesus and this one guy. But remember, it, tell, it told us right at the beginning that it was packed out, and remember, you know, people had to climb over people to get to the pool. Amen. So this this place was a very it was a very crowded place, and so Jesus could easily slip back into the crowd and disappear, and that's exactly what happened. So Jesus healed this man and simply disappeared into the crowd. And at this point, William McDonald says this incident marks one of the greatest turning points. In the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he performed this miracle on the Sabbath, he stirred up the anger and hatred of the Jewish leaders. They began to pursue him and to seek his life. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Now, notice again, Jesus is the one who initiates contact with this man. Okay? And said to him, See, you have been made well, sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, notice, just like in Mark chapter uh, 2, Jesus is implying that it is sin that has brought about this infirmity. Notice he says, sin no more. He's saying, basically he's saying, sin got you to this place, don't do this anymore. Whatever that sin is, I'm, I'm very glad that the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what it was. And it also shows us that God is the same way with us. Amen? Uh, Regardless of what problem that anybody might be having, it's nobody's business but God's. Okay? We're there to pray for people and and stand with them. And we need to know that. Yeah. (laughs) I have to say one more thing. You know, just when you're praying for people, sometimes God will give you a word of knowledge about something. Please don't pray it out. If it is something to do with something that might embarrass them, can I just say that? Okay, because the quickest way to lose that word of knowledge and that, that, that gift is for you to do that. And God will just shut it down. Because he'll, you know, he'll say, you know what, I'm not telling you anything anymore because you start praying out loud. Everybody goes, oh, they did what? You know what I'm trying to say? So just uh, there are things that when people come up for me for prayer, I know things that I won't say, but I will pray and I'll pray very discreetly, very carefully about what I know. Now you need to, family, you know, when you get to this place where you're ambassadors of Christ, that's what an ambassador is. He's there to make peace, not to start wars. Amen? And so, you know, sometimes people will come up, they'll ask me for something that I will know why they're in the situation that they're in. And I'll be thinking to myself, okay, how do I pray about this? Because our job is to pray. Our job is to help people out. Amen. Our job is to show mercy and compassion and, and, and exercise faith on their behalf, whatever it is that they need. And so that's one of the things that we need to learn to do that. We need to say, okay, God, <laughs> obviously you've told something, you you, you, know, you revealed something to me that I can't reveal in my prayer. How do I pray? Do you know that I'm j- a lot of times praying to God about what to pray for you while you're standing in front of me? Amen. He said, dear God, it gets complicated. Yeah, it does some days. Okay? (laughs) And you know why? Because I tell you, we, we need to be really, really careful that we pray what is right and something that they can agree with and God can work with in order to bring them to a place where they're being delivered out of whatever problem that they're in. Amen? Rather than being put in a worse problem and being in a worse situation. Are you all getting this? Okay, so... I want to say all of that because it is important that we understand some of these things, especially because you know the Bible is, is is very careful about what it says. There are some places, dear God, it just tells you everything, and you think, "Oh, that's so wow, okay, all right." But there are other things that you again, and you need to read all of those things and understand where it's okay and where it's not. Are you all with me? Amen. All right. Like the woman caught in adultery, we knew she was caught in adultery. It was they were able to tell us that. Do you know why? Because we were, we were to learn from that, that regardless of what kind of sin it is, only God can stand judgment over it. Never us. Amen? Amen. Okay, moving right along. Notice again that Jesus is implying that it is sin that has brought about this infirmity. Just as a refresher, remember I said just like in Mark chapter 2, remember again in Mark chapter 2 when Jesus healed the paralytic that was lowered uh, f- uh, through the roof by his four friends? And it said in verse, verses 5 and 11, I'm just picking those two verses out, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And then he says, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. So in order for that man to be healed, his sins needed to be forgiven. Right. Amen. Which is really interesting. All right. Here he says, "Take up your bed and go home." And when he, when he finds him in the temple, he says, "See that you have been made well. Sin no more." So in both of these instances, we're seeing that there are, there are some things that link directly back to sin. Amen. However, in the incident here, Jesus says to the man in no uncertain terms, "Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you." Don't take for granted God's grace. You know, some people, and, and some, there are preachers out there that preach, you know, God's grace is so huge, and so amazing, and so everything. And, and it is, but don't be careless with it. Can we say that? God's grace is there for the person that says, God, I really need your help to get out of this, not so I can get back into it. And that doesn't mean that, you know, um, you have to live a perfect life after that. that it never means that. Otherwise, there'd be no use of First John one nine. Hallelujah! Thank you, God, for that scripture. But okay. But the thing is, you know, what what God wants from you is just literally to do your best to not be in that place all the time, or to you know, to to, to be a person that says, "Well, you know, sin now, repent later." All the time, as a lifestyle. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Okay. In his commentary, let's move on. D. A. Carson writes. Although suffering and illness have a deep theological connection with sin in general, and although John elsewhere insists that a specific ailment is not necessarily the result of a specific sin, in John 9, 3, and I've got the scripture down there, there is nothing in any of this that precludes the possibility that some ailments are the direct consequences of specific sins. That is the most natural reading of this verse. So again, we, we need to understand that there may be times when people come up for prayer and their ailment is because of something they're doing wrong in their life. And you need to be open to hear that as well. Because sometimes just praying for a person to be healed of something, all you're doing is trying to get rid of a consequence yeah, of something they're doing. And what we need to do is get rid of what's causing it. Yeah. Amen? If we can remove the cause, then the consequence won't be there. And so that's, that's one of the things that I, again, be careful how you do this. Okay, one of the things that I do is I will pray. If God reveals to me this is what's behind it, then I will pray. You know, let, let's just say, that what we're going to be looking at here, this man had no character. Which is the reason why nobody wants to help him into the the pool. We're going to see that in a minute. I'm giving you something away right now because I want to make a point here. Okay? So, if we were praying for this man, he comes up, he says he wants to be healed, and God says, you know what? This person has no character. He will turn you over to whoever at any moment in time, doesn't matter how much good you've done to him, he gets in trouble, he'll throw you under the bus. First chance he gets now you know, you hear this from God and you don't want to pray for the guy you're thinking, dear God forget about it and you know, I've met some people not as bad as this guy, okay but that have done that and you know, first you get upset about people like that then you forgive them, (laughs) okay, because otherwise you know you you lose all your blessings amen, judge not lest you be judged, okay, always remember that Um, so what do you do You'd look at this person. If you find this out, then what you need to do is start praying. God, don't pray. Oh, God, this man has no character. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Okay? Don't go there. Don't do that. That's advertising things, okay? This is when you start praying. Father, I thank you that you heal this person. I thank you, Father, for strengthening character. I thank you, Father, for all the areas in their life that they need strengthened. And they need see, now I'm praying beyond the healing. Are you getting this? And rather than accuse them, I'm encouraging them. And I pray that if I can put this word into them, then there will be some little angel that get assigned to them and say, Be better. Okay, pastor prayed for you. Be better. Somebody believes in you. Don't let them down. Be better. Amen? You do that. And that's what we're here to do, family. We're here to encourage people into something better. Amen? Not, not advertise their failures, and I guess in a sense, help them dig a deeper hole. Never do that. Okay? Don't help the devil. Alright? Now, watch this now. As soon as this man found out, sadly, as soon as this, uh, the man found out who Jesus was, it goes on to say in John 5.15, the man departed, and told the Jews, that it was Jesus who had made him well. Can you believe this guy? As soon as he found out who it was, ran back to the very people that persecuted him, that in fact said, who is it that did? Obviously these people are not looking to worship Jesus. Can we get an amen on this? You need to understand, man, these people were persecuting him. These people were out to get Jesus. It was in their attitude, and this man knew it. And you know, this man has no character. As soon as he finds out, he runs back to them. Can you believe this guy? This is one of those really bad people in a movie. Okay, I mean, you know what I'm trying to say? Straight away, he goes and tells them who it was. Instead of defending Jesus, and trying to keep his identity, I've said here, and whereabouts quiet, he rushes to tell the Jews exactly who it was that told him to carry his bed on the Sabbath. Uh, knowing fully well that the Jews were out to persecute Jesus the way they were persecuting him. We wouldn't be wrong to conclude that this man was quite a weak individual, without any kind of spiritual conviction and absolute lack of character. (laughs) And also, very possibly, the reason why no one bothered to help him into the pool when the waters were stirred. Now, he is the complete opposite of the man in John chapter 9. Now, when we get to John chapter 9, we'll look at this guy, but let me just quickly show you who was born blind and healed by Jesus, and when interrogated by these same Pharisees, not only stood his ground, and boy, he does a fantastic job. You, you are going to love this guy, okay, when we get to it. I don't want to give too much away. But defended Jesus well, and as, as a result was cast out of the synagogue. See, he didn't care about all that stuff. This guy did, but this one didn't, okay? And following his excommunication... <laughs> It's a very big word. It goes on to say in the saying, John chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, see, he went and looked for him. Isn't that beautiful the way Jesus does this? And he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him. Remember the eye was blind? Okay. He says, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Hallelujah. Now, I would love to share details about this, but this when we get to this story, we are, we're going to see such a contrast between this individual in John chapter 5 and the one in John chapter 9. In John chapter 5, this guy turns Jesus over straight away. In John chapter 9, <laughs> I'll give you one little bit, okay? When they say, "Who is this person that healed you?" and you know, on this on the wrong day of the week, and he says, "Why do you want to worship him too?" Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's when he gets thrown out. By the way, <laughs> okay, <laughs> <All right. laughs> See, he wasn't going to take anything from these people, and in fact, they interrogated his family before they got to him as well. You know, because this is how this is what religion is like. It's just heartless, and it's you know you. You just look at it and you think I don't blame a lot of people for getting from getting turned off from church and just saying, you know what, I don't have anything to do with church. Whenever they say that, don't take it personally. Please don't take it personally. Don't think, oh no, they don't like my church. No, they don't like a church that they've been to that might have been doing stuff like this. Do you hear what I'm saying? And you say, well, maybe your church was that bad, dude, but (laughs) mine ain't. Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, returning to John chapter 5. The sad situation with the invalid informing the Jews about Jesus, it goes and say in verse 16, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And sought to kill him. Because he had done these things. Healing the man, telling him to pick up his bed and walk on the Sabbath. In his commentary, D.A. Carson writes, all the Gospels report that disputes between Jesus and the Jewish authorities over the Sabbath were so sharp that they figured prominently in the rising desire to kill Jesus. Okay, That's why I said there's this underlying current. Everything that is written in the Gospel, see, they didn't just write about miracles and so on for the sake of the miracles. Every miracle has a purpose because John said we could have written every miracle there wouldn't have been enough books to contain the things that were done. Do you understand? There was just so many and on one hand I wish somebody actually just wrote them all down. <laughs> you know, only because you know just to gain some insights into some of the things that Jesus did because depending on what he did it's only John's gospel that brings out some things that the other gospels don't bring out. And again I believe it's because of his his unique perspective on Jesus, and uh, you know, a uh, hold to the view that he went to, he, you know, he went to heaven before he started writing all of this stuff, because he's got some views on things that only once you've been there you begin to understand the relevance of some of the things that Jesus did that the other people didn't write about, and that's why we, I, you know, every time I read this, I begin to see things that I'd never seen before, and I think, and I can relate so much of it back to Revelation very quickly, and draw straight lines back to it, and I, I wish I'd done that in. Um, the epistle of John last week because it was something I could have brought directly from Revelation that supported everything that we saw in, in the scriptures in First John last week. But anyway, one of the things that I, I see over and over again is that Jesus began to understand what all the miracles were actually about. He went beyond just the fact that these things, you know, that the miracles showed that Jesus was God and because they were done on the wrong day of the week, that's why the Jews wanted to kill him. Not because he was a bad person. okay? Because that's what the Gospels mainly do. But see, that's, that's, that's why John puts in the, the miracle about changing water into wine. That didn't upset anybody. But it showed us something. That Jesus had control or had a power over the, the you know, can I just say from a scientific point, the molecular structure of things. He could change something from one thing to another. That's, that's incredible when you begin to think about that. Do you understand? Then you begin to understand what's going on in, on the inside of a human body as it's starting to maybe grow bones or whatever it is, new flesh or new skin or eyeballs or whatever was needed. You, you begin to understand in turning water into wine, you know, there, was, there were molecules or there were atoms introduced that weren't there before. Do you understand? Because wine has a carbon atom that water doesn't have. And to make wine, you need that. And so to turn it into, from water to wine means he could do that. Which then begins to explain a lot of what he did. Do you understand? But John knew to do knew to write that in. And, bec- and he says that this was the first thing that Jesus ever did. It was the beginning of miracles. It was the beginning. We, never, we would not have known that that was the beginning had John not written it in. Do, are you all with me? Okay, so... That, that tells me a lot, you know, when I'm reading through the Gospel of John, I look for things now. <laughs> okay? I've, just, I've learned to look beyond what's normal. I've learned to look for something that John is showing us that the other one's missed. A lot of times in the other gospels, they, you know Jesus will say, "Thy faith has made you whole," and so on and forth. Here, Jesus goes up to somebody who doesn't know him and heals him. That takes, that takes away from thy faith has made you whole. All this guy wanted was somebody to carry him to the pool. Are you all with me? So he shows us things that goes beyond. And, I, and the more I look at it, the more I begin to understand you know, what the Apostle Paul says, So with the heart, man believes. And you begin to understand that the power was coming from his heart. Things were changing as he willed them to change. And the apostle John, some, John saw something beyond what the other um, apostles saw. Amen? As much as he understood that God spoke and created, he also understood that there was the, the power that caused all of that came from somewhere. Do you hear me? So it's not just your words that do work. It's what's behind your words that do the work. Are you all with me? Okay, that's why Jesus was very clear when he said, if you believe, whatever you say will come to pass. Not just saying it. Amen. Okay, we need to stop there because I've got well over time. We'll come back and we'll have a shorter session in the next, in the next part. I just couldn't drop it there. Uh, So take a break and we'll come back and have our next session and make it short.